It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.08 at News Talk WSB, 44.5 degrees outside by my thermometer. It's going to be a hot one this afternoon. But what you can do while you're inside is think about the Carathon, the annual WSB Carathon, where we raise money from our listeners to support the Children's Health Care of Atlanta system. It's a wonderful thing. starts next week, starts on Monday, and we'll have full days of programming around the fundraiser for the Carathon for the Children's Health Care of Atlanta. I'll be with Mark Aram on Monday night talking about the Carathon, and you'll meet, I think, some interesting people. Alex Williams is one of the, one of the other employees here, is actually a product of the children's health care system. He had cancer, and he is completely cancer-free so far right now, and he's in his 20s, and uh, he is a interesting guy to talk to as far as his experience with children's health care. But nonetheless, you can start now if you want something to do to make yourself feel good this weekend. Go to wsbradio.com and click on the Give Now or the Children's Health Care bear that's there on our front webpage, and you will be able to give a little money to get it started out well. The whole thing starts on Monday and Tuesday of next week, the Carathon for Children's Health Care of Atlanta. Gary is in Duluth and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Gary. Hey, Walter. Good morning. Listen, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Yeah, man. So it's just like I, talking on the phone. If you can talk I, on the phone, you can talk to me. What's going on? Listen, the rose rosette, the disease that hits knockout roses, Are you have you heard of that? Or oh, you man, yeah, have I heard about that. Um, and it does, it's I mean, not yeah. only knockout roses, Gary. I, I always want to make sure that folks know that, yes, we've planted a lot of knockout roses in metro Atlanta in the last 15 years, but because they're so common, you see rose rosette disease on knockouts, but it affects every rose. Every rose in the world is affected by a rose, or could be, by a rose well, rosette. you know, the reading I've done on it is you pretty much have to dig it up, and it, it's it, the plant is pretty much toast. Do yeah. uh, you have any feeling on that or I, mean, I don't have a feeling i've got research and the research is exactly that it's a little mite for listeners who don't know what rose rosette disease is it is a mite that spreads it the disease itself is a virus that gets into rose plants once the mites have landed and sucked some juice out of it they transmit the disease in that manner and it makes the ends of branches get really really crimson red and lots and lots of thorns and sort of broomy looking at the ends of branches on a rose that's affected by rose rosette and the only and you said it exactly right gary the only way to control it is to dig the entire plant up and dispose of it well do you think that university of georgia or somebody is working on some sort of rose that can can take this You know, that is a real good bet, Gary. Yeah, I'm sure there's somebody at the University Research Center or even some of the uh, big Bailey's Nursery um, up north that uh, does research on plants and breeds plants. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's thinking, how can we keep this rose rosette at bay with new plants? You know, Walter, I I can't bring myself. I've got 47 of them. They're pretty much the highlight of my house, and I can't bring myself to dig them all up, but I guess I'm going to have to. (laughs) You have to. I mean, the truth is, if you have 10 that are not affected – if you don't dig up the rest of them that are affected, those 10 are going to get it, and that'll be the end of your rose career, I guess, unless you right. want to do what I've recommended in the last couple of weeks. Somebody called and had it, and I said, look, if you can dig it up right now, dig your roses you know are affected with rosette now, dig them up, dispose of them, and get them out of here, and then water that plot for you know a little bit every week to keep it moist. And if you have any root pieces in the ground that want to sprout up, you can dig those up, 
and then by October, November, maybe you're ready to plant some more roses because there are no more pieces and root pieces and things like that in the ground, and you could plant your roses again at great expense, of course, to Gary. Right. So, right, right. One, yeah. one more quick question. Yeah. What What is the duration of the disease? I mean, if it hits it, how long does the bush have? I have a neighbor who has one. Well, actually, I'll give you a better example than that. News Talk WSV, the big white columns building here on Peachtree Street, had roses in the front rows uh, uh, landscaping area, and I told them probably two years ago that they had rose rosette in their in their plants and the landscaping crew sort of haphazardly came and pruned off the affected limbs but didn't do the full jerk it out of the ground kind of thing right and right. i believe those roses are still there they still have the virus it still looks sort of roomy on the ends it's been two years anyway since, since uh, the first symptoms were seen so it can linger a long while without killing the plant eventually i would say within two to three years it'll be dead Okay. Well, listen, I very, very much enjoy your show, and have a great day. Gary, call again. We'll see you soon. Thank you. It's 12 minutes past the hour, and Lee in Woodstock is with us. Hey, Lee, good morning. Good morning. What's up? Uh, well, I purchased a house about five years ago with a palm tree. We have, about, I don't know, five or six palm trees, 10 feet tall. Yeah. Two years ago, one of them looked like it was starting to die. I assumed from the cold weather. I finally did die. And I just don't know what type of palm tree this is. So they're pretty been, pretty big, would you say, Lee? They're yes, 10, 12 feet tall? I'm guessing it's going to be windmill palm. That's one of the just a couple of three palms that seem to do okay in Atlanta with no you know, no stress from cold and things like that. So windmill palm would be my best, what you have. And what would I purchase a windmill palm? Pike Nursery. Pike has them. Okay, sir. Well, thank you. That was my question. All I couldn't right. figure out what type of bomber it was. Now, let me tell you something, Lee. It's not the greatest time in the world to plant them right now, but if you have a watering system or you have no vacations planned for the next month or two, then you could plant a window of palm in the middle of the summertime. But the better time to do it is in spring. And unlike a lot of trees where I say, oh, wait till September, October, November to plant the trees, I don't think planting the palms is a great idea in the fall. They do better in spring when things have warmed up. In the summertime, it's a little more chancy because of watering and that sort of thing. They don't have a real big, vigorous root system on them. But if you want to take a chance and go to a pike and get one of the smaller ones, four or five maybe feet tall, then uh, you could plant it now. Well, thank you very much. Lee, great talking to you. We'll see you soon. We've got Marsha and Marietta joining us on Lawn and Garden. Marsha, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fabulous. How can I help, Marsha? Um, I have several hydrangeas in my yard uh, and dogwoods, and there were um, zero blooms, no buds at all on the hydrangeas this yeah, year, right. and barely a couple of buds on the dogwoods. I don't know if it's connected or not. <laughs> Probably not. Probably okay. not. But the problem so, uh, that is... Concerned. The, the problem that is the most common thing on hydrangeas this summer is just winter damage. They froze last winter down to past the point where they make any any growth to make flowers. And so you have really nice foliage on the hydrangeas. A lot of people do. And no blooms at all because it's blooming wood. The bloom part of the plant has just gotten frozen the past winter. 
Okay. I didn't know if it was a fertilizing thing or a pruning thing or what. Nah, well, it sort of is a pruning thing. Winter pruning your hydrangeas for you, and you don't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, so, honestly, if the foliage is fine, Marsha, leave it alone. It will bloom next year, assuming we have a normal winter that doesn't you know, freeze the parts of the hydrangea down and protect them. Consider that if we get temperatures into the 20s and below during the wintertime, try to have some sheets or something you put over the top and anchor it down to the side to keep them from, from being frozen. You do that all winter long or just after a certain point? Just at a certain point when Kirk says, oh man, it's going to be a cold one tonight, 20, 20 degrees, 19 degrees, something like that. That's Marsha's signal to go get the sheets out and put them around the hydrangeas and anchor them down. They have to be covering the entire plant, anchored down with rocks or logs or something like that, but that'll protect them. Okay, great. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you, Marsha. One of the things that I uh, do on the internet is I join discussion groups of people who are smarter than me and who talk about stuff that I sometimes don't even understand what they're talking about when they talk about plants. But recently, there's been this long discussion about endless summer uh, hydrangea. And endless summer, when it was introduced, was a plant that could reliably bloom all summer long, even if the wintertime had frozen it down, even if your husband went out and cut off all the branches during the wintertime. They would still bloom the next summer. And part of this discussion that I've been reading about endless summer of why some endless summer plants don't seem to want to bloom regularly like they're supposed to is that genetically they have been bred and rebred and cloned and, and tissue cultured and all to such an extent that sometimes their genetics, these professors think, these genetics of the endless summer hydrangea have been muddled a little bit, muddied maybe is a better word, muddied so, somewhat so they don't do the actual response like they're supposed supposed to to bloom in the summertime and so they revert back to being a normal hydrangea blooms one time in late may or june and then the rest of the year just has pretty leaves on it so it's possible that the endless summer that you buy now at a nursery is not the same as the endless summer that was introduced what 10 15 maybe 12 years ago and so that's a possibility Anyway, I would try for Endless Summer. Dooley is a great one that will will bloom again. Uh, Penny Mac, named for Penny McHenry here in Atlanta, is another one that blooms reliably even after cold in the wintertime or something like that. So maybe if you want a hydrangea that blooms for a long period, look for Penny Mac and try experiment again with the Endless Summer and see if they do like they're supposed to or maybe they have changed enough over the last year or two or three that they don't bloom as reliably as Penny Mac would. So that's my advice. Pike Nursery, of course, yes indeed, Pike Nursery has Penny Mac in the summer as well. It's 718, you're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the Lawn and Garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. You know how your oven sometimes has little notches on it for broil and clean and cook and bake and things like that? Yeah, the temperature today is set on broil. Highs <laughs> this afternoon are going to jump up into the mid-90s. It's going to be hot and humid outside, just a 30% chance of rain. Overnight, the lows go down to the mid-70s. Right now, it's 74 degrees at News Talk WSB. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Jeff is with us from Cartersville. Hey, Jeff, good morning. Good morning, Martha. How can I help? All right. Fig trees. I've had beautiful fig trees for years. This past year, the centers of my fig trees have died out. Yeah. They're completely dead. You can just break them off. Sure. What caused that, or what can I do to prevent that in the future? 
The most likely explanation is Asian ambrosia beetle that bored into it this past spring in February March, and then they sent out little toothpicks, which you might or might not have visited your fig tree to see them, but the little toothpicks are a sign of the Asian ambrosia beetle, and when they get inside the trunk, they introduce a fungus which causes everything past that point to die, and that happens on figs a lot. All right, so what can I do to prevent that? Not much. <laughs> That's the whole problem, Jeff. It's hard <laughs> to find out when these little insects are around. They start mating and flying sometime in early February each year. Even when it's cold, these bugs are looking for a place to make a home. And if they find your fig, then I've already told you what they do. So honestly, the only thing I recommend is just cut it out and see what happens. Spraying insecticide will never get into the uh, interior tissue of a fig tree or anything else they attack. And so honestly, you can't do much about it. So just saw out the dead parts and throw them away and uh, wait and see what happens next year. If the rest of the tree is, is pretty green, got a lot of leaves and some figs on it right now, it'll sort of fill in that. It won't look so like it's got a hole in it for the next year or two. Okay, well, how far can I prune those back this fall? I hope that you won't prune it back a lot because pruning figs back by more than 25-30% really makes a lot of new fast-growing juvenile growth and those juvenile branches don't have many figs on them the next year. So do you need to prune it or you just want to prune it? What's going on? I just, I just wonder if I needed to or not. That's no, fine. you don't need oh. to. Figs do much better if you just leave them alone. Occasionally, they get the beetle in them and uh, other things. Occasionally, rabbits sometimes will chew around the base of a fig tree and uh, kill it from the base. But uh, figs in Georgia, they're going to sprout back up from the roots no matter what damage is done during the wintertime. But pruning, if you can avoid it, would be better to better leave it alone. All right. Thank you so much, Walter. Hey, Jeff. It's great talking to you. Yes, sir. If you want to, now let's say you're a listener right now and you're thinking, well, I don't want my fig to die. I don't want my Japanese maple to be infested with these uh, Asian ambrosia beetles. I don't want my crepe myrtle to be infested with beetles. Well, here's what you can do. And real quickly, it basically says go to my website at walterreeves.com and type in Asian ambrosia beetle trap. And I'll show you how to make a trap. It won't control the numbers of insects, but it'll teach you when they're flying, where you can spray the trunks of your figs or your crepe myrtles or whatever is affected and prevent them by poisoning them before they even can bore into the tree. But you have to put that trap out around the 1st of February. One of the uh, attractants that really brings them in is ethyl alcohol. So you can fill it full of vodka, and I'll show you some things about how to make the trap work. But you can put vodka or one of the other grain alcohol products maybe and uh, use that to trap the beetles. But you do it in February, not any time when you see the damage in April and May. More details about that, of course, at WalterReeves.com at 727 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back to more lawn and garden right after news. In the shade. I'd like to be under the sea. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.35 on a Saturday morning, 75 degrees outside. Yeah, it's going to warm up. we got about 20 more to go today. If you go to garden, do it this morning. If you need advice, call me right now, 
0750. Melvin is out in Austell and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Good Melvin. Morning, Walter. How are you? Man, I'm fine. What's up? I got my tomato plants. It's getting a yellow and black spots going up my leaves. How yeah. can I prevent that? I talked to a guy around, what was it, 630, 645 maybe this morning, who was participating in an experiment that I invited other folks to experiment with me to try to prevent exactly what you have, Melvin. Most likely the disease that you have is called early blight. It makes the bottom leaves on a tomato plant turn yellow, big black spots on them, they fall off, it moves up the plant, and by sometime mid-July you don't have anything but stem and no leaves because the, the black spot got onto them. So what I suggested, and this guy is doing it for himself, is putting a plastic cover, a little sort of an umbrella. It doesn't cover all the way down to the bottom of the plant, but at least keeps driving rain from going in and splashing the fungus all over the lower leaves and moving it around on the plant. And I think that that is a way next year, Melvin, maybe think about that. Make a little trellis or something that goes over the top of your tomatoes to put some plastic sheeting on to shed the rain and so you don't get so much direct rain contact okay. with the leaves. Is there anything I can do now? Ah, uh, yeah. I got a couple of things. Uh, number one, you need to cut off every affected leaf or scissor off the half the leaf that's affected by the yellow and the spots and all. So get rid of all those, put them in a bag, and dispose of them completely. Don't leave them on the ground. And you might get some success in slowing it down, let's call it, with one of the copper fungicides. And if you go to any garden center, Pike certainly has this where I bought mine. It's called C-O-P-P-E-R, copper Uh fungicide. And uh, spray that on leaves. It's labeled for use on vegetables. And so spray that on the leaves. It'll slow it down some. Okay, then. All righty, Dan. Thank you, sir. You early day. blight. Early blight on tomato. Very, very common. Mr. Reeves might have a little early blight on his tomatoes, too. The ones that aren't covered by the plastic, anyway. Hey, man, thanks for calling. 404-872-0750. we got Wade and Conyers joining us. Wade, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Hey, man, what's up? Yeah, I've got a huge gardenia bush here at the corner of the house I want to trim back. Is it a good time to do it, or should I wait? Wait. Wait, you're going to really stress it because the uh, just the process of, pl- of pruning a plant, a shrub, a gardenia, is going to make it want to grow new sh- new growth, you know, new sprouts and everything, where the buds are left on the plant. And all that juvenile growth demands a lot of water, and it's the middle of July, and as we know, it's hot outside. Right. So okay. the plant will be a lot happier if you'll wait. Gosh, if you can wait till October or November. You'd be fine. Gardenia never okay. care. But right now, way not so good. Not so good. Okay. Could I, could I do it with hedge clippers when I do? Or should I? <laughs> I feel like a hypocrite if I say you do it by hand, but because I have hedge trimmers and I used to tell everybody they had to do the pruning by hand. Okay, hedge trimmers sometimes are really easy, nice tool to have when you're pruning a big shrub. So, you know. Take your choice, Wade. If you've got some trimmers and you're reasonably careful at making it not like a ball or a box or something like that, yeah, you can use hedge trimmers. Okay. All right, sir. I appreciate it. All right, Wade. Thanks for calling. I have some Felco pruners, and Felco, you know, is a brand that all the professional gardeners use, red handle and really comfortable on your hands and replaceable parts. So, you know, Felco pruner is a great thing. And for years and years and years, I said, get a Felco pruner, go out and prune your, what, crepe myrtle, gardenia, by burning whatever you have by hand. Don't do it with the hedge trimmers because you'll have like this outer covering of greenery and the brown is inside of the shrub. And then I got a pair of electric battery operated hedge trimmers and they are awesome. The awesome thing. So now again, I can say do it by hand or get you a nice hedge trimmer and uh, be careful to leave some, some, what would you call it? The holes in the side of the shrub so sunshine can penetrate down in the middle. Chris is in Demarest, Georgia. 
Chris joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Chris. How are you? Hey, man, I'm all right. What's up? Good. I've got a uh, Japanese maple tree that got hit with, I'm assuming, Japanese beetles yeah. just recent, and it defoliated it pretty much. It pretty much got all of the leaves. Um, is it going to survive? Probably. Ashley was laughing. She says he has a Japanese maple and a Japanese beetle on a Japanese maple. They're very right. friends with each other. So it will not kill the plant unless you had just thousands of Japanese beetles for year after year and they ate all the leaves off pretty early. It'll sprout back out and may sprout back out this year uh, okay, when the sure. Japanese beetles drop off and start looking for places to lay eggs. But recently I got in the mail from a company who invented this this, this machine thing. It's called just a plant vibe, I think is the name, plant vibe, V-I-B-E, because if you've ever tried to get Japanese beetles off of your plant, you know if you tap the plant just a little bit, the Japanese beetles, all of them will fall about six or seven inches and fly away. And right. so the theory behind the plant vibe is a little vibration vibrator thing. You attach it to the limbs or the base of a small tree, and every five, ten minutes maybe it goes like that. And all the Japanese beetles fall off the plant and fly away. And the theory is that many of them won't come back. So it's not on the market yet, but if it turns out on my plants that have Japanese beetles on them the way that I think it will, I may be in the next, uh, next year be able to say, get that plant vibe, put it on your plant, and shake those beetles off. Great. Thank you so much. Hey, it's great talking to you, Chris. Yes, sir. One of the other few things, if you want to spray insecticides for Japanese beetles, it is really hard to get an organic insecticide that's strong enough to hurt Japanese beetles. They're a beetle. They have, you know, back shields on their back that doesn't allow insecticide to get into them. And so the easiest thing, honestly, is to get one of the synthetic insecticides like Seven or uh, Conquest or one of the Bonide products or Bayer products. You can get all of those, and they do a great job at controlling Japanese beetles as long as you spray all the surfaces where they're feeding on. But the organic way, maybe this buzz thing is about the way we'll go if we want an organic control for Japanese beetles. Doris is in Loganville and has sort of an interesting question about her tomatoes. I want to find out more about what they look like, Doris. Hey, good morning. Thank, thank you for taking my call. So what does it look like, Doris, on your tomato? Do you say you have white spots under the skin? No, it's pretty much solid white. Hmm. They turn red, and when you go to peel them, there it's white, right under the skin. Yeah. And it pretty much covers the whole tomato. Does it look like spots on the skin, or can you tell that there's white underneath the skin, or what are you observing? Well, you can't see anything, and it looks good till you start peeling yeah. it, and then yeah. you hit just under the skin. It's hard, white, hmm. and it's white. I have two theories for you. All right, two theories, Doris, that explain white things under the skin of a tomato. First theory is insect damage and there are a couple of insects that are the most likely damagers of tomatoes during July 2015. One is a stink bug and there are lots of stink bugs that don't attack tomatoes but the other one is leaf-footed bug because it's an insect it's black it's about three quarters of an inch long and the legs look like leaves little tiny leaves on its legs. Both of them stick their noses into tomato fruit they suck out the juice and their saliva I guess you would call it makes the tissue of the tomato underneath it turn white. That's why I was sort of thinking, are there any spots where it's white or is it solid all around? Because if it's solid all around, that is usually uh, related to watering and sometimes to the variety of tomatoes. Some are more or less likely to have the spots all the way, or have the white, I mean, under the skin and all the way through the fruit. 
So well, the metal looks perfect yeah. so you cut into it and you can't see any damage on the outside. And, and the white stuff does not taste good. For me, it's sort of bittery tasting, and I've tried it, of course, but uh, you don't want to eat that tomato. So I, because it's more genetically and weather-related things that you can't control very well, Doris, my answer is just keep growing your tomato plant, fertilize it right, water it right, and keep having tomatoes on it. Eventually, it will likely go away as temperatures change during the summertime. Just the current tomato crop is not going to be very good. Okay, then. Thanks a lot. All right. Nothing to spray, nothing to do other than keep the plant healthy and let time do time's job. Time heals a lot of things on plants. Now, i got Patsy in Loganville, and Patsy joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Patsy. Good. Good morning, Walter. Morning. I have this terrible dilemma. Yeah. My daughter wants half of my irises. I've always transplanted them in October. It's awfully hot. Can I dig them up and give them to her? I think you have to. <laughs> I think this is a familial thing. Why can't you do it for her in October? Is she leaving town or something? No, she's planting a big flower garden, and mm -hmm. she wants to... She's gotten to the area she wants to plant them. Yeah, and you've seen irises when they get really hot and dry, how the leaves sort of curl over and wilt a little bit. Yeah. But my experience is that you can transplant them like daylilies. You can transplant them most any time of the year, even though it's hot and dry, and they'll survive. So just warn your daughter that she needs to be sure and keep the new plot with the irises uh, watered during the summertime when it's hot, and I bet you they'll do fine. So, yeah, go ahead. you got to. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> now, don't call me back and say, you know, all those irises I transplanted, they all died, and my daughter's no, mad go, at me and mad at you, too. So, no, I'm going to tell her I called you, and you gave me permission. I have I'm given talking. you permission, specifically, <laughs> okay. Patsy, and as long okay. as she waters it, I think it'll work out. Okay, thanks, Walter. You bet. Thanks bye for bye. calling. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, sometimes my advice is more psychological than physiological and plantological, isn't it? we got Jane in Kennesaw. we got about a couple of minutes to talk about what Jane wants to talk about. Hey, Jane. Hey, Walter. What thanks can, for taking my call and for all that you do. What can I do for you, Jane? I've got a gold mop cypress that is huge. I should have read the tag. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say that. Go ahead. Yeah, well, um, I, it's about probably five or six feet tall mm. and round. Yeah. Can I just hack it back? Is it going to look ugly or die if I do that? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man, it's tough. Camosipris is false cedar is the real name of the plant, if folks are wondering what we're talking about. It's a golden plant, real pretty in the landscape. And they look very nice when they're three feet tall, and they get sort of scraggly mm -hmm. looking when they get about five or six. They're bigger than you expected, and they uh, just you know shade other things out. If you can do the... Um, do the pruning very selectively so you never prune all the way back into the brown stuff in the center of the plant, but mm -hmm. always leave some foliage below your pruning cut, you could probably, if you're careful about it, reduce it by, I don't know, 20% or so, 25 maybe, and that'll yeah. get it down to a size that you can live with maybe. And then next spring, uh, sometime in late April when there's a lot of warm weather and the rains are coming and all, do another mm -hmm. pruning if you need to then to move it down even further. Okay. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think you can prune now. But just remember, leave foliage beneath your cut. Don't go down to a limb all the way in and cut it off there so you have nothing but brown left on the plant. That right. is not going to come back. You won't have any, any camosipris anymore. All right. Well, great. Thank all right. you. Get her done this morning, Jane. It's going to be hot this afternoon. <laughs> all right. Have a great day. Thank you, ma'am. It's 748, and you're listening to Lawn and Garden.
This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Bottom line, it's going to be hot. We said that all mornings. 95 degrees maybe this afternoon. 30% chance of a shower and overnight lows in the mid-70s. Warm, 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 but what do you expect? It's July and Georgia is going to be hot. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. And at this minute, we give away the WSB McDonald's Weekend Prize Pack. Ashley Frasca thinks of a number between 2 and 7 to determine who wins a pair of tickets to Lyle Love It. August 21st at Chastain Park, produced by ASO Presents, plus a $25 gift card from McDonald's. All right, Ashley, what's our number between 2 and 7? Caller number 4. Caller number 4, 404-741-0750, And caller number 4 gets to see Lyle Love It, the former Mr. Julia Roberts, is going to be at the... <laughs> it's going to be at Chastain Park in uh, in uh, August. Let's go to the phone, 755. we got Jamie down in South Georgia with a question about, what, apple trees? Is that right, Jamie? Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I live in South Georgia, went to New York this past uh, uh, fall, and I was open to the apple trees I've never seen before. So I bought a few, trying to grow them in South Georgia. Yeah. Um, our tire hot weather is a little bit hotter than North Georgia, but... <laughs> And my waste and my time, I've got the trees that's supposed to be native to my area that will grow, according to my local uh, low store. And yeah. What do I need to do? I mean, Some we water them and we fertilize them. This past spring, they were, we were planted. We planted them, I'm sorry, in the fall. Yeah. And, um, we have had a bloom. We've got leaves, and that's all we've got. We, we're not expecting fruit the first couple of years, right, but... Right. I mean, typically, are we going to be wasting our time with these or what? Sometimes I tell listeners who call in and want to do something a little out of the ordinary like you're doing, Jamie, and yeah. I say, you are on the bleeding edge of horticultural knowledge. And down in South Georgia, that's where you are. You'll find out whether these varieties survive and thrive and give you fruit, and you won't know it for a couple of years. But within the next three, if they still don't bloom and they just look like they have good foliage, yeah. They're probably not going to have apples on them. Heat really affects how flowers get pollinated in South Georgia. You don't have a real long period of cool during the wintertime that apples appreciate having. So hard to predict. But, hey, you're doing research on this, Jamie. That's a great thing. I've got people told me I was crazy, and some of them told me they were gross. So we're going to find out again. Oh, people call me crazy all the time, Jamie. Nothing to it. <laughs> it really doesn't hurt your feelings at all to be called crazy, particularly when you're doing something that may advance knowledge, because I'm expecting you in a couple of years when you get your first apple to call me back and say, hey, Walter, this variety is doing fine in South Georgia. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for calling, Jamie. Drive safely, man. Coming up in the next half hour, James in Kennesaw has a little story about what his grandpa said about me and my advice. It was not complimentary. Marsha and Marietta has fruit flies in her home, and Pam wants to know where to buy St. Augustine's side. We'll try to get some sources for Pam. If you have a question, 404-872-0750. I'm Walter Reeves. This is Lawn and Garden, and we'll be right back after news. Sit around and watch it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. Penguins. Oh, Lord, I go for penguins. 
are so sensitive. Penguins are so sensitive. Penguins are so sensitive, sensitive to my needs. Yeah.